Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. We continue our Colossians series today, Continuing Christ, this time looking at Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 through to chapter 2 verse 5. The topic, the striving of the Apostle, the speaker, Christon. Tonight's reading comes from Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 to chapter 2 verse 5. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Chris, and I'm on the staff team here at St. Matt's. Uh, there's a lot of faces I don't know tonight. Uh, I'm really delighted you're here with us to praise Jesus with us, and I'd love to meet you after the service as well, if I did get a chance to do so beforehand. I'm not going to lie. As much as I love Paul, I find reading him kind of exhausting sometimes. Uh, some of his sentences are so long that by the time I get to the end, I've forgotten the middle, let alone the beginning. I don't know if you noticed as you were reading through just then with Anna, one of his sentences is 48 words long. There's another one that's 42, I counted, that's right. Uh, But I will say this for Paul. While his writing style might not always have a lot of clarity, there is always clarity in his life. He knows who he is and where he's going. He knows what he'll live for, what he'll die for. He knows where he's been, he knows where he's going, and he knows why? There's this amazing clarity of conviction about Paul. He knows. And because he knows, he's not the kind of person to be crippled by indecision or compromised by inconsistency. He's not crushed by insecurity or carried away by different ideologies. There's this solid quality about Paul. He's steady. He has clarity. He knows. And he writes this letter to the Colossians. Like 25 years after Jesus' death, he writes this letter to this small church uh, in this city in Turkey. He writes this letter for them that they might know too. At the start of the letter, he prays for them that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Just in this short passage that Anna just read for us, three times he makes reference to how he wants them to have knowledge, understanding, wisdom, insight. 
Just like he has clarity, he wants them to have clarity too. So that when the storms come for them, rather than being tossed about, they too can be confident, committed, steady, solid. And if you look at your own life and you think, man, I am just so easily tossed about. I'm easily distracted. I'm easily discouraged. I'm up and down all the time. And if you'd like the kind of steadiness that Paul has, a confidence that can carry you through different storms, then God's word tonight is for you. So I'm going to pray and we're going to jump into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you can teach us through this book. And we pray that you teach us tonight. We pray that you'd be filling us up with knowledge, but not the kind of knowledge that just fills up our heads, but the kind of knowledge that changes our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I think Colossians is the only one of Paul's letters we have in the New Testament where he doesn't personally know the group he's writing to, or he doesn't at least know a lot of people in that group. It was Paul's friend, Epaphras, who went to Colossae, who told them about Jesus, who started a church there. As far as we can tell, Paul hasn't even been to Colossae. But Paul knows the Christians in Colossae are encountering challenges. And as he says in verse 5 of chapter 2, he wants them to stand firm in their faith. He wants them to have discipline. He wants them to keep going. He wants them to press on. So he writes this letter to encourage them. And in this section of the letter we're looking at tonight, since they don't know each other personally, he's kind of trying to introduce himself to them so that they'll listen to what else he has to say. I remember once for a job interview, like a long time ago now, uh, it's still burnt into my brain though, the first question the interviewer asked me wasn't even a question at all. They just said, so, tell me about yourself. I kind of panicked. Like, what do you, what do you start? What do you say? I didn't know what to say. So I, I said, well, I'm 23. I'm a guy, and I live in Australia. And there was this pause, and then they kept going, thankfully. Paul doesn't bother with basic facts. He's not interested in telling them his age or telling them his favorite hobbies. He just goes straight for the deep stuff. He tells them his heart, his passion. And his passion is Jesus. Let me read verses 24 to 29 again. Uh, Don't get caught up in the weeds of what it all could mean just for now. I just want you to notice how much Paul understands himself, his identity, who he is, in light of him knowing Jesus. So beginning at verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul knows Christ Jesus. And it's in this knowledge 
that Paul finds his clarity, his determination, his commitment, his steadiness. And so Jesus is the knowledge that he wants the Colossians to have too. But specifically in these six verses I just read, I think we can see four things about Jesus that Paul knows. Four things he knows deep down into his bones. Four things that give him a clarity and a confidence to live by no matter what comes. What I want to do is I want to deal with the first three all together and then we'll come back to the fourth one at the end. Number one, Paul knows that God's plan is Jesus. Number two, Paul knows that our full potential is found in Jesus. And number three, Paul knows that his own purpose is in Jesus too. So let's look at those three things. God's plan in Jesus, potential in Jesus, purpose in Jesus. In verses 25 and 26, Paul talks about presenting to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Paul talks about a a mystery now being disclosed, a mystery now being revealed. He's talking about the mystery of God's plan. God's plan, God's intentions for humanity, for the world, for existence. But to make sense of this, I think it's a little easier if we step back. Let me explain to you or remind you of the key message of the Bible. What we call the gospel, the good news. The heart of the Christian faith. That message starts, I think it's easiest to start anyway, with an inarguable fact. Our world is messed up. Our world is messed up. And you were born into a broken world as a broken person. There are a whole lot of problems out there. But there are problems in here too. There are problems in here too. You are not what you could be. We are not what we should be. At the start of the Bible, in the first chapter, we're told that we were made to reflect God's image into the world. We were made to embody his goodness, his love, his mercy, his justice. But if we were supposed to reflect God, we're dirty mirrors at best. And often we're just trying to reflect ourselves. If we were meant to be signs pointing to God, then we're crooked signs at best. Where sometimes we're just pointing in the other way entirely. We were made for so much more, but we settle for less, achieve less, we leave a mess, we embody unmet potential. And because of the wrong we contribute to, God has every reason to be done with us. But instead of giving up on us, God has a plan. And that's what Paul's talking about, that mystery, that plan. God has had a secret plan from the very beginning. And now at last, Paul is saying, we can know the plan. We can know the meaning of it all. Life, universe, everything. God's plan isn't to just shut things down or to start things over. His plan is a redemption project, a reclamation, a rescue mission. God sent his son Jesus into the world to to break into our world, to disrupt the cycle of breaking and brokenness, to live a life of full potential, embodying God, reflecting God, pointing to God. And in the culmination of Jesus reaching his potential, 
He perfectly expressed God's mercy by dying in our place for the messes that we create. Then he rose again from the dead and invites anyone who wants to follow him and live a new life. A new life where as we lean on him slowly, slowly, slowly and one day fully we can reach our potential. In him we can be who we were supposed to be. Full of love, full of joy, full of peace, full of kindness, full of wisdom and insight, full of justice, fully pointing to God, full of glory, fully mature. Paul writes in verse 28, He, Christ, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Him. And here we see Paul express his purpose too. We've seen what our potential can be. We've seen what God's plan is, but we see Paul's purpose too. Verse 29, to this end, to this goal, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Of all the things Paul could do with his life, he devotes himself to God's plan by holding out Jesus to people so that other people can know Jesus too and find their potential and purpose in him too. But it's not just a purpose for Paul. Through this whole passage, he uses a lot of I language because he's introducing himself. I, I, I. But in verse 28, he says that Christ is the one we proclaim because we can join in God's mission too. Serving in God's plan gives us purpose too. Do you know how many people go through life having no idea what their purpose should be? No clear sense of purpose. Never really knowing what it would look like for them to reach their potential, let alone how they can reach their true potential. How many people that don't understand what life is about that don't know that their God loves them and has mounted a rescue mission to save them. But if you know Jesus, you have that. We have that. We're the ones with the inside information. We're the ones on the inner circle. We're in on God's plan. We've been given a purpose. We know how to achieve our potential. And when things get hard, when we encounter setbacks, disappointments, discouragement, and loss. We can keep that knowledge in mind to help us stay firm and press on. But I look around and I'm confident that some of you at least have been following Jesus for longer than I've been alive. And maybe I've said absolutely nothing new for you. You've heard all this stuff before, but maybe you still don't feel steady like Paul. Maybe instead you feel easily tossed about, easily distracted, easily discouraged. There's one more thing that Paul knows. One more thing he's convinced of that I think makes all the difference. Number four, Paul knows that Jesus is worth it. He knows deep in his bones that Jesus is worth it. And that's why when he suffers, as he lives out his purpose, he can still rejoice. 
That's why he strenuously contends with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in him instead of just quitting. Because he doesn't ever wonder if this is all just a waste of time. He doesn't wonder if you know, there might be some better options out there he could pursue. He knows that Jesus is worth it. Do you know that? Are you convinced of it? Does your life say it? My oldest son, Trace, uh, he's seven years old, plays soccer for the local club for the Lions. Uh, he loves to play soccer, and I love to give him pointers. Whether or not he wants them, I love to give him pointers. And I've been watching him lately, and I've been thinking about the next thing I want to teach him, and maybe a little too advanced for now, but I really want to teach him how to hedge as he defends. Now, if you know soccer or a lot of other ball sports, you'll know what hedging means. But if you don't know, let me get to give you pointers as well. Uh, so imagine the goal's back here somewhere. I'm a defender. Uh, Jono, you're a striker. Thanks, man. Uh, and Annette, yeah, you don't have to do anything. Just say that. Just put your hand up once. Great, that's Annette. She's also a striker. Okay, we've got these two. Jono, you don't have to do anything either now. You've done a great job. Good catch. All right. Two people are coming towards me. They want to score. They want to get past me. If I commit to Jono, who has the ball, if I come over here, so they're going to get around me, what's he going to do? Oh, beautiful. Oh, look at this. Synergy. Okay. Uh, he's going to pass it over, and Annette suddenly got a clear pass, and she's going to go and score, because look at Annette. She has no problems at all. Way to go. All right, nice. Uh, so there's already scored one on me. However, what if I think, well, no, I know he's going to want to pass, so instead, while Jono's got the ball, I come over to guard the person he's passing to. What's Jono going to do? Boom, he scores. All right, this is great. Uh, he's just going to power on pass. What I need to do is I need to hedge. I need to position myself out here so that if he wants to dribble, I think I can tackle him. If he wants to pass, I think I can quickly get here to put pressure on a net or intercept the ball and go and score myself because that's how I roll. <laughs> I have to hedge. I don't know what John is going to do with the ball. So I want to keep my options open. I don't commit, I hedge. Hedging is a great principle in soccer. But we live in a time and a place where hedging is increasingly the norm for Christians. We are lukewarm in our commitment to Jesus because we want to keep our options open. We don't fully give him control of our relationships, or our wallets, or our priorities. We just go halfway. We hedge. Paul doesn't hedge. He's not inconsistent, and he's not halfway, because Paul knows, as much as Paul knows anything, he knows this, that Jesus really is worth it. And unless you know that, unless we know that, unless we have that clarity, we're going to keep on hedging. And we're going to keep on finding ourselves stuck in the middle, tossed about, confused, discouraged, distracted, double-minded. Jesus is worth it. Whatever the cost, and there will be a cost, Jesus is worth it. Now, it's my responsibility as one of your pastors to, to live and to love and to lead like Jesus is worth it. I need to remind you and reassure you, not just in what I say, but in how I live, that Jesus really is worth it. But I need you to do it for me too. 
oh my goodness, I need you to do it for me too, to remind me and reassure me too. We, all of us, as many of us as possible, need to be regularly, habitually, actively reminding each other of this truth, that Jesus is worth it. Because if we don't see that clarity, that focus, that commitment, that determination here, where in the world are we going to see it? So, Ben, we need you to lead us in praise like you believe that Jesus is worth all of our praise. Bible study leaders out there, we need you to prepare and care like you believe that Jesus is worth your extra time, your extra emotional energy. Members of 6pm, we need you to come along to 6pm like you believe that Jesus is worth your Sunday evening. Cleaners, welcomers, youth leaders, kids leaders, volunteers of all kinds, we need you to serve like Jesus is worth serving. All of us, we need to love like Jesus is worth loving. Obey like Jesus is worth obeying. Sacrifice like Jesus is worth anything. We need to do it wherever we are. Because while there is a whole room of people in here that need that reminder, there's a whole world out there that need that reminder too, that Jesus really is worth it. So know that God's plan is Jesus. Know that you can find your potential in Jesus and your purpose in Jesus. But most of all, know that Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's easy to say up here, but when the storms come, it can be really hard to remember. Sometimes the storms feel so great. So we ask humbly that you would please remind us that Jesus is greater still. We're sorry that we hedge, that we can be lukewarm and stuck in the middle. And we pray that in your mercy, you would help us to be all in, knowing that Jesus is worth it. So we pray that you would please convict us and help us to live in a way that we declare it. For his sake and his glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Bend Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another, and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon. Thank you.